This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back. Listening to Militantly Mixed. I would like to acknowledge that the Militantly Mixed podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Chumash and the Tongva people, and I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your host, Charmaine, aka Mixed Girl Maine. The busiest mixed race, bisexual, polyamorous, atheist, comic book nerd, cat mom, mask making, comic book store co-owning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 113. And um, I, I guess, as you know, at this point, I had to skip last week. And if you're following me on social media, you know that the reason why I had to skip is I have been dealing with an insane amount of vertigo lately. Um, for the last two and a half weeks, I have experienced between one and five bouts of vertigo a day, every day for the last two and a half weeks. And it is it has sucked. (laughs) It has really sucked. It's been hard to kind of manage just basic functionality in that time. And I was partway through the edit for the episode that I was intending to drop last week. Um, But Saturday, Sunday, and Monday of last week was just too difficult for me to function. So I really wasn't able to get the episode completed. Um, I was also late on Blurred Comics. I was late on uploading Black Radical Queer, despite the fact Javi had done her entire job. And I knew that I just wasn't going to be able to finish up Militantly Mixed in time to release last week. So I decided to go ahead and skip it for the week. Uh, What I'm going to do is the episode that was intended for last week will be the episode I drop next Tuesday. And today is the audio from the live stream that we did last Thursday, October 15th. Uh, which the topic was activism while mixed. And if you haven't already watched it, you're about to hear two of the most dynamic people that I've had the chance to to know in in the last little bit. Uh, Rohan Jolie, you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, we dropped their episode regarding the Blasian March. And Asian Soph, you've actually heard her voice before, but she hasn't done a, a full episode yet. And so that's something we're going to get done probably in December, um, on their own, completely dynamic and inspiring people. But together, my mind, I was just getting my life the whole time. It was such a wonderful experience. So I'm looking forward to being able to share that with you. But before I do that, I have a number of announcements, some of which I would have made last week. So hopefully I can squeeze this all into a reasonable amount of an intro uh, so that we can get on into the meat of today's episode. Um, first thing that I'm super excited about, Militantly Mix is finally taking a step towards greater accessibility, which is something I have been wanting to do since I started the show, but I couldn't afford it. I have partnered with Podscribe, a website that works with transcribing 
uh, any episode that I upload on Apple Podcasts. So they have actually managed to transcribe the backlog through episode 20 or starting with episode 20 all the way to present. And then every future episode will, of course, be transcribed as well. Zero through 19, for some reason, Apple does not have on display at the moment. So I got to figure out what's going on with Apple over there. But once I do, I will get those first 19 episodes transcribed as well. But in the meantime, if you need that level of accessibility or you just desire seeing transcripts for the podcasts that you enjoy, they are now available. And the way you can access them is by going to militantlymixed.com and click on the transcripts tab. And you'll be routed to Podscribe's website, which has both all of the transcripts there, but also the ability for you to subscribe to those transcripts so that they go directly to your email. From what I understand, the transcripts are available about 30 minutes after I upload the episode. So you should be able to stay on track with them alongside the episodes that drop, which is great. I do have to do a little bit of manual editing to make sure that they're clean, which will take me a really long damn time going back into the backlog, but hopefully will be something I'll be able to keep up with it um, if I can. <laughs> I mean, as y'all know, I'm a one main operation, so um, I'll do my best to keep up on making sure that those are as accurate as possible and clean as possible going forward. Um, but this is just an important step in terms of making sure that uh, all of our mixed race cousins out there can access the show at any level that they need to access it, be it through transcripts or through actually listening to the audio. And then eventually when I'm able to have my studio space next year, um, which was supposed to be this year, but is pushed back to next year, uh, then we'll start to be able to incorporate more video as well. Uh, but for now, first step, transcripts, which is a big step for the show. And I'm really happy to have that available. So again, to, to subscribe to the transcripts, you can go to militantlymix.com and click on the transcripts tab. All right. That's the first announcement. The second announcement is the annual fundraising t-shirt. Be Your Mixed Ass Self is finally available. And that is also something you can get through militantlymixed.com if you click on the Teespring tab. This is an annual t-shirt. It's going to be available every year from mid-October to end of November. And last year, I, th I think last year we actually launched in August, but I really want this to be an end of the year fundraiser. So that's why I pushed it back. Um, last year, it was also limited time. Of, and then once it was gone, it was gone. And this year, uh, same thing. So the t-shirt will be available through November 30th. It is the Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt, but it is a different design from last year. So it can officially be a collector's item if you want to collect them all. Uh, they'll always be available going forward from October through the end of November, mid-October through the end of November. I've already seen some people have picked them up. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing you post those on Instagram with the hashtag be your mixed ass self, hashtag militantly mixed. Also, one thing I learned last week, which is just a sidebar now that I'm thinking about accessibility. If you hashtag multiple words in one hashtag, like hashtag be your mixed ass self, for people who need to listen to what's on their screen, hashtags versus reading them. Uh, if you only hashtag and it's all lowercase letters, it'll run it together like it's one word. So to get it so that the uh, audio devices will read 
the hashtag correctly, you have to put a capital letter at the beginning of every word. So if it's hashtag be your mixed ass self, then it's hashtag capital B, small E, capital Y, small O, U, R, capital M, small I, X, E, D, capital A, small S, S, capital S, small E, L, hashtag be your mixed ass self. Uh, So you have to capitalize every word in the hashtag so that it's actually pronounceable and it's not completely incomprehensible for someone who hears it if they're if they do like dragon or any of those um uh, text to audio listening things something i learned this week while trying to make the show more accessible so if you hashtag anything going forward try to make sure that if it's multiple words that you do uh, capitalize each word um, but if you get the t-shirt hashtag be your mix as self make sure you drop those on the instagram so um so we can see all your Lovely mixed ass faces wearing the Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt. All right. And let's see, what else? Did I already say that I was going to be taking a break for mental health hiatus in November instead of December? I can't tell if I have said that, but given that... I'll just do it now. (laughs) Given that um, I'm dealing with all this health stuff related to my vertigo, I've decided that instead of taking the mental health hiatus in December, which was my previously scheduled break, um, I'm actually going to move that up to November and try to lick this vertigo issue. You know, I have several doctor's appointments and I don't want the added pressure of making sure that I hit the episodes on the right schedule. Uh, I want to be able to focus on this. And this is kind of the best area to do that since I was already going to have a hiatus in December anyway. I just decided to move it up a month, do the hiatus in, in November so that I'm able to focus on this health issue. Hopefully I can get it under control and then I'll come back in time for my birthday in December. Uh, let's see what else. Oh. Um, okay. As you know, Militantly Mix is a fan-sponsored podcast, and it's with your support that I'm able to keep this show going, especially now that I've had so much growth with that growth this year, which is amazing. Um, in June, the show grew about, the audience size grew about three times its normal amount. Um, it's recently just had another boost last month. I haven't really been able to calculate how big a boost yet, but, um, I've noticed the numbers ticking up quite a bit. And with that growth has come extra expenses, but because of COVID and life just generally being crappy right now, um, some people have had to pull back their their sponsorship. I've gotten some emails about it being COVID-related or being temporary. You know, life is just difficult right now, but I'll come back and support. So it's been a pretty dramatic drop in sponsorship, and I'm trying to find other ways to get sponsorship too, like companies and commercials and things like that. Um, But until such time, uh, I do rely on Patreon and the PayPal's donations to keep this show going. Patreon just announced last week that they are now offering annual memberships. So instead of the month-to-month subscription, you can actually subscribe as an annual basis, do a one lump sum for the 12-month period, and I believe you save about 15% off of the month-to-month cost if you do do the annual sponsorship. It's a new function. It's something that they've they've heard comments about from both creators and patrons. Um, so it's nice to see that Patreon is listening and, and trying to make things a little bit easier for people who still want to support their favorite creators, but just don't know if they can commit to a monthly basis sponsorship. So if you would like to sponsor the show through Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash mix. Uh, subscribe at whatever level you choose from, from a dollar to as high as you wish. Although I only have rewards up through $50 and you can select now to do that on a monthly basis or an annual basis. And if you want to just drop coins in the tip jar and you don't want to commit to any length of time uh, in terms of donations, but you want to support the show, 
the PayPal is always available. And the way you do that is paypal.me slash militantly mix. Those are always nice because usually people don't warn you and just I get an alert from PayPal that just says, you know, so-and-so dropped some coins and, and, and it's great. Your sponsorship helps keep me going. I'm absolutely trying to find ways to advertise this show. We definitely have a bigger audience than we had before, which makes it a little bit possible, but we still haven't achieved the numbers that major advertisers like to participate in in helping. So until that happens, I'm still going to rely heavily on um, listener sponsorship. And I do absolutely appreciate y'all for um, keeping me going this last two and a half years. It's been amazing. Every now and then, from now until whenever, I am going to occasionally drop a little audio clip from one of the people that I have lately looked towards uh, on a weekly basis to get a little bit of joy from. Uh, You might remember Jay, our cousin Jay, from a a previous episode of Militantly Mixed. They started the Mixed Student Union at University of Virginia. And we did an episode, I want to say probably May or June of 2020. Uh, Jay is a regular participant on the social distancing hangout. And I look forward every week to hearing him have a positive spin on just how difficult life is. And so he dropped this little audio clip that I'm going to share with y'all today, which is just kind of reminding people to find joy in the moment. And I think he might drop some of these from time to time. So it's it's just really nice. Life is difficult right now for all of us. And, and even for Jay, who is almost always positive, I rarely ever see him um, not in a positive state. Even as he goes through things as well, he finds ways to put a positive spin on things. So I just, I want to give my thanks to Jay for sending me this audio clip that I'm going to share with y'all today. And, and also just tell him that I'm thinking about him because I, I luckily have had him in my life now since about March. Um, and I get to hang out every week when he attends the social distancing hangout along with the, the rest of the family that shows up. Uh, we all love and, and rely on him for joy. So um, so why don't we just take a little minute to, to listen to Jay's joyful moment. Hey, Military Mix family. Time for a feel-good moment with Jay. Life's a lot right now. We all know this. But I think the biggest thing that's been getting me going is the time to take a moment to pause. I over here at a beautiful river right over here in Charlottesville, Virginia. And yeah, I ran like heck of miles to get here. But just taking a moment, just sit by and just enjoy the nature helps clear my mind and make me just be thankful for a lot of things in my life, all things considered. So whether that be work, school, family obligations, whatever's going on in your life, set aside a minute, maybe five. How about just taking that pause and making sure that you can feel good a little bit about yourself. Keep living your mixed ass life, militantly mix. So again, I just want to thank Jay for sending in that clip, and um, hopefully, we'll get some more in the future. Um, and you can get your life through Jay the way <laughs> the way all of us that hang out on the social distancing hangout. And also, I just want to say on a personal level that I really love you, Jay, and I'm I'm thinking about you this week. Before we switch on over to today's episode. Um, I do just want to also send out a thank you to Johnny Terry from Sierra College. Johnny is a professor 
uh, philosophy and LGBTQ plus studies at Sierra College. This is also the community college that I went to right out of high school. I've known Johnny for, uh, I think about 22 years now. And um, I actually worked with Johnny as a technical director on distance learning classes. Um, You see kids, (laughs) if you're younger than 40, uh, college classes used to be broadcast on cable access if you couldn't get to school. And there was always someone in the booth that controlled the cameras and the microphones and gate kept for uh, distance learning guests who or students who had to call in the teacher to ask questions. Uh, that's how I met Johnny. I was the director, technical director for his classes. And then simultaneously, my husband was taking his philosophy classes. Uh, my, he wasn't my husband at the time. Um, and so we both created separate relationships with Johnny. And eventually Johnny officiated my wedding. <laughs> Um, so I've been invited to Sierra College a, a number of times. This is the third time to speak at their Pride event. And I was able to, I think I was the closing speaker for this year's uh, Pride event. And I had a blast. It was such a good time because of something that had happened in a previous session, though, they didn't unmute people. They uh, any question that went through the chat went to the Zoom czar and the Zoom czar communicated that to me so that I could answer those questions. Um, It was a way to kind of protect the guest and protect uh, protect the speaker and protect the students from any negative um, people that jumped on and weren't cool. Uh, but because Johnny and I know each other and have had a 22 year long friendship, it was a really fun experience to be speaking to students about intersectional identity. And then on top of that, every so often dropping in to share a private, a personal story between, um, Johnny and me, uh, in front of everybody. Uh, but it was such an amazing event. I believe that I'm going to get that audio and that is going to be available as an exclusive on the Patreon page. So if anybody wants to hear my chat about intersectional identity, through Sierra College Pride Day, that is going to be pretty soon. That's going to be available exclusively on the patron Patreon page for the patrons. Thursday was such a busy day. First, I had the speaking engagement at Sierra College, uh, which was the virtual conference. I was doing it from home. Uh, but almost immediately after that was over, I basically had a potty break, you know, got a drink and then sat back down and we started the live stream. So as you all know, now on the third Thursday of every month, Uh, We do a live stream that airs on YouTube and Facebook about some topic under mixedness. So far, we have done um, mixed race support system. We have done mental health while mixed. And this episode or in this live stream was about activism while mixed. My guest for this live stream was uh, Rohan Jolie, who you met a couple weeks ago as they spoke about the Blasian March that was taking place in New York on October 11th and Asian Sophie who you've heard their voice before, but they haven't actually completed a full episode, which is something that we'll probably do here in December. On their own, both of these people are super crazy, dynamic, and inspiring to me. I absolutely get my life from them. Together, I was expecting that it would be explosive, and it absolutely was. It took us forever to stop talking. Even after the live stream was over, we continued to talk and... um I absolutely adore these two. I cannot wait for y'all to hear the conversation that we had about our different access points to activism. Uh, We also refer to ourselves as different titles and different responsibilities within activism. So that was part of the conversation we had. It was a wonderful conversation. I'm so grateful to these two for um, sitting down with me for the live stream. 
You can still watch the video if you go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash militantly mixed. Uh, and uh, you'll be able to watch the video if you want to watch the video. But if not, the audio is here for you on the podcast. And if while you're at YouTube, if you don't mind hitting that subscribe button so you can get any notifications uh, right now, the videos that are available are just the static episode art photo of the audio from the podcast every week. And of course, the videos from the live streams. I will try to get more videos up, but that won't really be 100% possible until my studio space is available next year. Um, once that happens, we will be a more multimedia program, video, audio, and um, and the transcripts. Now, I think that's also an important aspect of it. So I promise I will start to get a little bit more video up there from time to time. But the most important thing is that people subscribe to YouTube. <laughs> so if you don't mind jumping on and hitting that uh, subscribe button. Oh my gosh, this intro is so long. Okay, I gotta stop. Uh, next week's episode will be the episode that was intended last week with our latest cousin, Sidra. Um, and then I'm going to go ahead and go on that hiatus for the month of November. I will still be available on the social media and the Facebook group. I will also be doing the uh, weekly social distancing hangouts, but I just won't be releasing episodes during the month of November. It'll just be a break. But this is just a plan to help getting my health on on track. And, um, and it's part of what I do all the time anyway. Three months on, one month off to get my mental health straight. So without further ado... Please help me in welcoming back Rohan Jolie and Asian Sof to the Militantly Mixed family through the live stream, Activism While Mixed. And don't forget to be your mixed ass selves. I'm like, hey, it actually worked this, even though it's worked every time. All right. So this is the third official, technically fourth, Militantly Mixed panel discussion live stream that we are doing for the Militantly Mixed show um, on the third Thursday of every month. And this uh, week's, this month's episode is regarding activism while mixed. And I have two people with me that, uh, well... One I only just met, but one I've known for a while. And I am just fanning out on the work that y'all do. I mean, I'm a big fan. I know. I hope you know that I'm a big fan. My guests today are a returning guests from last week, Rohan Zofli and Asian Soap. And we are going to get into this discussion about being an activism, uh, being an activism. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> We're live. It's no big deal. Whatever. Um, <laughs> activism while mixed. Are y'all ready to get into it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel you on the tired thing. It's <laughs> 2020 is just a tired year. I'm tired okay. all day. I'm still recovering from this weekend. So. I bet, yeah. <laughs> so you just organized or were a part of the organization of the Blasian March that took place in Brooklyn, New York. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Introduce yourself, talk a little bit about that, and then we'll introduce yeah. Soph and we'll get into it. Yeah, um, my name is Rohan Jolie. Um, as most people can kind of guess, I am 
Black and Chinese. I'm also Filipino. And according to my grandmother, there's Indian in the family. So yes, love it. Um, <laughs> the Blasian March, um, I am founder of the Blasian March. That is a Black and Asian solidarity movement um, through education on parallel struggles against white supremacy and a mutual celebration and uplifting of ourselves. So our um, first ever March was actually this past weekend uh, on the 11th. Uh, and we also had a sister action in LA. So nice. shout out to the LA crew. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so yes. much for coming back. And uh, Self, why don't you tell everybody about what you do out here? I should have gone first. Uh, I feel like it's not as impressive. No, <laughs> um, no but uh, I work, so I do like lots of different things. I feel like I'm an octopus sometimes. Um, but, I, I, can, I can vouch for that, just watching all the things that you do. Um, so primarily, I admin on a page called Mixed Present. It's um, a page comprised of a bunch of different admins. There's four of us. We're all multiracial. I am mixed Japanese and uh German, Scottish, and Welsh, so I'm Asian and white. Um, and basically, we do a lot of different things. We talk about mixed identity and, you know, geared towards, um, you know, helping uh, multiracial people kind of come into themselves and, uh, you know, be a space, a safe space for them and do, like, educational work. But my forte is really in uh, more about politics. And uh, right now, I'm really pushing people on getting to vote and uh, register, uh, registering people to vote and all that stuff. So um, I try to gear more towards around that stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of my work is very inclusive. So I find that sometimes um, people are really geared towards like, you know, the things that they are. Cause I feel like a lot of people are just like, I can only speak on this because of this, but I'm very much about advocating for everybody and like getting people involved in the conversation, having discussion topics about that. Um, I ran an, a racism in life, uh, an allyship series recently on mixed present. Um, yeah. And also have done some organizing out here in terms of a couple protests and things like that. Right. And I was surprised you did that. Cause you like jumped right in, like you moved here unpacked one box got on city hall steps like it was it's to me that was my perception like you got here and you just started working that that's really sweet i i don't feel that way but that's very very sweet um but yeah but also like you guys can attest to it there's a lot of shit we gotta deal with out here, we have right? to do a lot of work you know what i mean it's like i mean when is the time and it's also just like you know, you have these feelings and you feel very purpose driven, you know, like we all are, you know, that's what is the first step. And then you're just like, I got to channel this somewhere mm -hmm. and you just go for it. Yeah. Offline before we got started, uh, Rohan and I were talking about like, for me, I don't know how to not do all of the things and I feel guilt or and like a responsibility to do it. And it's taken me a long time to get to the point of being like, you know, there's other people that are more talented in different aspects of this. So I need to focus on the area that I'm, and that I'm talented at and then promote and assist and help people where I can, but also trust that there are people who are better suited for different aspects of what it is that we all do. And I think in different, we have different chunks of this game, whatever we want to call it, organizing activism advocacy for the groups that we come from and the groups that we're surrounded with because as Rohan said earlier there's parallel struggles across everything that we do and um the numbers are so much higher so much bigger 
if we come together and support those different things. We shouldn't just have to stay within our own little bubbles to do the work. So like you being a part of, or doing part of the Asian for Black Lives stuff that was going on here in LA in June and July, I think you were mm-hmm. doing stuff back then. And then the Blasian um, March as well. We know that there are things that we exist side by side with, and some of us have all of those intersections. Um, and it's important for us to be able to do that work. So I'm really glad to have you both here because you're doing similar work. You're doing different things, though. So I'd like to talk about the different things that y'all are doing and how as we as specifically mixed people. And since we're all of Asian representation here, too talk about um, how specifically Asian voices are sort of present and hidden in American activism. You want to do it? Do we got longer than an hour? We can come back. It'll be part one. We'll do part two later. (laughs) Oh, like, that is, that is, oh, where do we begin? Like, Let's 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 take it back <laughs> to the immigration like um, 1800s right. back, like Chinese migration back, or mm-hmm. are we? I literally well, just that walked someone. I literally just walked someone through the history of Asians in America, and they were literally like, "I had no clue." <laughs> like when when y'all start coming? <laughs> but you know, simultaneously, what's crazy is I came to LA and I meet fourth generation Asians. And I'm like, where have y'all been? We've been like, here. <laughs> We're here in LA. <laughs> all the Asians I know, cause I'm from the East coast. Everybody's parents came here from Asia. Mm-hmm. So I, I like, and it, and it's really um, a testament to how crazy discriminatory legislation really is because it's nuts that you got to find the pockets of people where, where you're like, cause out here people are like, Oh, are you Nisei? Are you Sansei? And I'm like, well, I'm Nisei, but also <laughs> this is just like a crazy combo. The terminology is right an East coast thing. I, I will agree with that. Yeah. yeah. So especially here in, in Los Angeles, where there are two segments of Japanese pop, uh, 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 communities. Um, the smaller one is the one I live in the Sautel. Well, I call it Sautel, even though there's, white people that call it little osaka it's fine wait um, really yeah oh, so they call it little osaka over here i but there's can't little, stand it there's no little signs that say japantown like why it not says japantown it right so um that's the same here in new york like they renamed harlem like soha village i was like girl stop <laughs> Stop like it. this is how you continue to erase us by renaming the spaces so it's more palatable for like white invasion or in this case like white re-invasion re-invasion yeah. right. i mean especially that here in part. california i think we <laughs> we feel asianness a little bit is as more present here on the west coast i grew up on the west coast so i i definitely have seen more different pockets of different asian communities all throughout california in a way that when i moved to the east coast i was like where are we you know like there's that one chinese family there and then there's like a vietnamese <laughs> family over there you know like and i couldn't find any filipinos like i'm like where are you where are y'all at you're not in massachusetts or at least not where i was at so i i i realized how much more access i had as an, a mixed asian person growing up in california um and that we do have terminology like nisei sansei and and stuff like that um in terms of what generation of born in america we we are um, and I think it is wild that people don't conceive of how long Asians have been here 
or that they conceive of the time that like the, the Chinese railroad stuff was happening. And that's literally the same time as the old West. And that, and that, so, so the things that they know that existed, that they don't understand that we were there too. And I say we and collective Asianist versus specifically Chinese or, or anything like that. Like there were Asian people here at the same time that slavery was actually happening here or that yeah. emanci you know, emancipation was happening here, that, that, that these things are going on at the same time. And the timelines, people don't think it's connected. Honestly, there is a spot in San Francisco where there was a, a recovered Chinese ship that had been there that predates white people coming to this continent. So I'm not even surprised. You I'm know not, what I'm saying? <laughs> there's this whole thought that like, ooh, white people were the first, the only explorers ever. Yeah. No, no, no. You ever, we like, may not Pacific be able to know. Islanders, like if you look at Pacific Islander, like artifacts, mm -hmm. they got African stuff in there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they were navigating using the stars before. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's not, it's, it's just wild how history has been like reframed to like, favor whiteness yeah. eurocentricity yeah yeah right. like we like literally i was like in conversation people and just thinking about how like you know we were literally africa and asia there's so many empires were trading peacefully and then come the white people and they're all like oh we can trade but like it's a trade. I mean, like steel, as in steel, as in I mean, like slavery. Like, like it's this so, mines now. This <laughs> mines. <laughs> the giggle after. <laughs> right. Actually, that was something you said when we talked uh, last week. Was that whole thing of just like there was like centuries long trade going on between um, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, and then white people needed soap, and. Um, <laughs> the world changed. The North Africans gave the Europeans <laughs> soap. I'm sitting here like, y'all, I don't even know how to know. They're to blame. <laughs> <laughs> I saw this. I'm, I'm going to say, I saw this hilarious meme um, that was uh, talking about uh, England and how British people were like, the, it was like a Britain versus America thread. And the British people were like, why is like American food like so spicy or like something like that? And someone oh, commented like, <laughs> yeah, someone was like, um, uh, well, American food is pretty mild. I mean, I mean, when I've had British food and I think what you mean to say is having any flavor at all. And right. then someone um, was like, you know, it's kind of funny that Britain invaded all these other countries for spices and decided they weren't going to use any of them. <laughs> I saw that before too. I mean, as a, as a mixed Brit, like it hurts because I know that that colonizer side of my family missed out. And the only spice they got was literally me. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, man. They didn't know when they left the shores of England that they were going to get all of this um but yeah it is so funny that well not funny haha -ha, i guess but you gotta laugh so you don't cry the concept of like the colonizer of colonizers steal all these resources and choose that the resources they actually profit the most from was humans instead of 
food or, you know, other things, <laughs> artifacts and stuff like that. They decided to pro- pro- profit off of using the bodies of people. Exactly. Um, but kind of going back to the idea of like how long Asians have been here, specifically in the United States and and how we have in all aspects of Asian has been a part of different revolutionary moments of American history. But where are we? But we li- like we know because we have act- actively looked into and we've actively participated. Um, but when you talk to somebody who's not in the game like we are, they're just like, oh, Asians were involved. So one of the things we were talking about, Rohan and I, the other day was about the um, like the Brown Revolution here in California when Cesar Chavez and and um, a lot of the migrant workers were working. Well, who else was there? It wasn't just uh mexican folks or mexican immigrants or mexicans that were here before this became not mexico there was also filipinos there was also chinese there was also japanese like they've been they were a part of it too but their voices somehow got quieter as history started to write it down um so what does that mean to both of y'all in terms of like the work that you're doing now and how you look for inspiration in the past when you're looking to be inspired by people who have done work similar to the work that you're trying to do. I do you want to go first? Or, oh, okay, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think go, do, do I go first? It's, it's, no, go ahead. You go. Go. <laughs> I was like, ah. <laughs> um, where was I? I think for me, what you're saying really reflects how it's not necessarily our fault, but we have allowed for the white settler education to write the story. Right. And as we all know, white education thrives on um, triangulating races, right, erasing people, and in doing so, giving other races, marginalized races, certain privileges over others. So by not teaching um, about Larry Itliong, Carlos Bolosan in the Brown Revolution, but not teaching about Yuri Kochiyama or even Richard Aoki or Grace Lee Boggs in the civil rights era, there is this um, this high, this higher this, this privilege of struggle. I think I mm-hmm. think it's getting like emphasized through white education. So it's saying like, oh, the black struggle isn't your struggle because what is your story? If you have a story, white education will erase it. So I think it's important, especially now that we have the tools, the internet, where all of this knowledge is documented on paper in an e-library that we can now begin to rewrite the history the way we as Asian Americans deserve to have it. And that's with the names, with the stories, with the legacy of our struggle alongside the Black community. Right. So... You know, it, it's funny that you bring up Yuri Kochiyama because I'm actually reading her biography right now, Heartbeat of a Struggle, because um, that is my broad. Um, <laughs> but when, when you think of someone like Yuri Kochiyama or even Fred Korematsu, who had his, he made it all the way to the floor of the Supreme Court just to be told that it the Constitution didn't apply to him because it was considered a military necessity, even though the government had literal proof from years of surveillance that said the Japanese Americans were not a threat during the war. Um, He was literally told, well, this is a military necessity. And so the constitution here does not apply to you. And 
you know, you think about these kind of figures and I wondered why I, why, we, I mean, we can't even get proper representation in a movie like that very recently with like crazy rich Asians coming out. Right. And, you know, it actually brought me back into thinking about the model minority myth and the origins of it. And it was literally created as a tool to divide Asians and blacks. It's yeah. completely rooted in anti-blackness and in and it was used to like make Asians fearful as it is because Asians couldn't naturalize right. for sent for a very long time. Even, even when they were in the internment camps, Japanese Americans were not allowed to become citizens. Right. So the question was then like, well, why does the law apply to you? And it's this whole thing of like, well, why weren't they, there's, this is again, discriminatory legislation. And there's a history of discriminatory legislation against all BIPOC people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we think about the model minority myth, it doesn't work to have something like that existing. And it doesn't perpetuate stereotypes. If you have these Asian figures that are the complete opposite of what the model minority myth is saying. Asians mm -hmm. are quiet. Asians keep their head down. But when you look at examples of Asian activists, if you have those and you learn about them, like you learn about Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X, you're, th then people aren't going to believe the myth anymore. Right. And there goes that tool to keep our, our communities divided. Because there's been a lot of instances in history where we have come together and we've really made a heavy impact Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I also think about how long it took for them to even create the Asian category in terms of the boxes that we have to check, which is very American thing because that doesn't seem to exist anywhere else, um, is that for the longest time, white people or Asians had to select white. And it wasn't until Japanese internment that they decided to be like, oh, we need to make sure we have something for, to seg separate the Japanese. Um, and then they were kind of implying that Chinese people needed to check that box too. A Chinese was like, don't intern me, you know, that kind of thing. And so that's when you even start to create more divisions between Asians here. Um, but for a period of time, Asian people were just white until they weren't until, until blackness needed less allies. <laughs> exactly. Asians didn't, Asians were white here. Um, and now yeah, what's weird is that you have, I'm sorry. Less allies and like another target. <laughs> You know, right. Or let these people now squabble over right. these like limited resources. So they did a really good job of separating uh, Native Americans and black folks early on. You are not the same. <laughs> and you should, you know, you should know that one of you has slightly more rights in some areas and one of you has slightly more rights in other areas and things like that. So they did a really good job to separate those so that there was actual uh, racism between those two groups. And then we get into the future where like now we're starting to do it with Asians. So with Asian activism, I feel like even though I've made attempts to research, there are times when I feel like there is so much I'm most I'm most likely missing. And it makes me angry because I can't even distinguish between what I'm actually missing and what what was just something that's cute to put on PBS, like any of the uprisings that happened in, in internment. Um, and it's like, yeah, see, we had one or two that really tried to fight to get, you know, Japanese out of there or whatever. Um, and I feel like it makes me really angry. And it also makes me realize how little I'm able to center my Asian-ness when I want to. 
in the kind of work that I do. It's easier for me as a person who does mixed race advocacy and does a mixed race podcast to focus on my blackness in terms of my mixedness because I have more access to that. And even as a person who grew up inside a Japanese home when I was with my mom's side of the family, I can't access Asian-ness or Japanese-ness very easily. Even if I live in a Japanese community, I can't access it very easily. So what do we do? How do we tap in? What's the work we need to do to feel connected as mixed Asians? Oh, that's a heavy question. You know, you know, for me, what has helped a lot is, you know, you have to do the work and you have to, you have to find um, different kinds of resources. So Mm -hmm. when I was at the Japanese American national museum, I, that's when I bought uh, the heartbeat of struggle struggle called the revolutionary life of Yoni Kochiyama and uh and just finding little um like books or like different articles or just finding extra resources that are not I guess the mainstream or mainly shared things because you know there is that mistrust of like you said is this just cute um and I also try to pay attention when it's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month because um, that's when people are like, all right, well, we'll just throw them a bone right now. Yeah. We'll just share about this little thing right now. And in those moments, you know, I try to take in what I can and what I don't know, but it is incredibly difficult to learn even just about the history and like learning about um, instances where even Blacks and Asians have come together to uh, have each other's backs. It was incredibly hard for me to, I did a ton of research on that. It was so difficult for me to find information on Mm -hmm. that, that I felt was, you know, is this telling the whole story and, you know, different things like that. And so you have to just really right now, I feel like the answer is dedicate time, but I've also wanted to curate that content myself for, to make it easier to access for other people, you know? And I mean, just like Rohan, right. You cure, you created the Blasian March because I mean, we don't have that, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, you have to go out of your way to, to put together the things that you didn't have um, because you know that there is a want for it and a need for it. And some people don't know how to find it. Mm-hmm. And exactly. side note, I also, sorry. I also just got okay. tired of like telling my, like telling people to like, not call me a Jap and like, right. uh, just like, why constantly, not to? yeah. Yeah. And just constantly talk about history and, and, and also Rohan, they with, think it's a nickname. They're because like, evidentially, oh, Japanese has it, so eh? many letters. What? It's so many letters. So it's, oh my a, it's like, English it's cute. So hard. English yeah. is so hard, white people. Oh my right? God, I know. <laughs> right. Yeah, they think it's a nickname. Or it's... the ones that have used it. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? Uh-uh. <laughs> uh-uh. Not, that's, that's not that's okay. That's the reaction. So I grew, up, okay. I grew up in Long Beach. And in North Long Beach was, you know, predominantly hood area or whatever. And I was the mixed girl because... I mean, look at my face and I had a black dad. They knew something was going on. Um, and when they found out that I was part Japanese, they referred to me as, oh, that Japan nigga. Because it was cute. Yeah. Because they decided to take cute. all of the problems. <laughs> That's not cute. And put it into one name. And I had to walk around, you know, like a little freshman in high school, my little backpack and my little fake Tim's because my dad wouldn't let me buy the real ones and just be like, it's okay, you could call me that because I was like 89 pounds and I didn't have I didn't I didn't know where my voice was yet at the time. 
that was my that was my little thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I know that one. That's the that's the Japanica. Mm-hmm. Oh my there, god, there were that's two of us. Nuts. I can't that's square awful. up with a bitch. Jesus, right? I mean, that's I mean, legit. It's why I hung out with Samoans when I was in, and uh, because I was so small, like I've I filled out, but at the time I was like eighty nine pounds and like four foot ten. And whenever someone made me mad, I just tell my friend Esther. <laughs> I was like Esther them because <laughs> she, <laughs> she was six two and we were 13 and she could just <laughs> i love that i love that so it. much oh. my active my my uh my voice was through the fist of my friend esther when i was when i was <laughs> um what about um, what about you rohan with the um backing uh, off the back of what sophie said sorry yeah so if, um you know i feel like I grew up with the privilege of being raised um, in a Jamaican household where being Black and Chinese was really valued, especially like in that community. Um, you know, That's awesome. being, yeah, being Black and Chinese could be like a for some folks is a mark of beauty, which I I did not catch. That's a different story. That's all they sometimes stereotypes of how bodies should look, but whatever. Um, and then, you know, I also, my family was involved with the Chinese community um, where I grew up in Georgia. <laughs> I grew up in Georgia. Um, I think, and then moving like into college, um, I actually really came of age in my Asianness um, mm. because I was so excluded from the black community because of my queerness so that that's anyway, a whole other like we'll talk like, about that well, you're not you this, you're not this. <laughs> <laughs> like you can't belong with the black people because you're gay and you can't belong with you know the gay community at my school northwestern because you're black and it's such right. a white queer space you're not welcome there either so like somehow i just fell in with the filipinos and it wasn't a question. It was like, you're black, you're queer, you're Filipino. Welcome to the family. Here's some hello, hello. Like, let's get it on, girl. Nice, <laughs> nice. Yeah. I love hello. So oh my God, right? It's the best. I need, I need some so badly. I haven't had Filipino food like in years. It's so sad. Uh, okay, I know so there is, was where you're at now because you're in you're in Brooklyn. Do you have? How do you access Filipino this? There is a Filipino neighborhood in Queens, so okay. there is a slight. <laughs> into Manhattan, go across. Don't worry. It's a, like an hour and a half train ride. You'll be fine, girl. Like, um. he's, just, he's just outside his apartment cooking his own his own lechon. You know pig. what? That might happen. <laughs> hey, you I actually you I actually live technically in Filipino town. Technically. Okay. But like I'm like a minute from like all the Japan Asian town. areas are kind of near each other except for Sawtell, Japantown. I live near Little right. Tokyo. Koreatown, Chinatown, Filipino They're all kind town. of against each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, in, in college, I really learned to claim my Asian-ness. Like there was um, this group called um, Asian Northwestern University Project. So it was all about holding space for Asian Americans. We had a whole like Asian Pride March like throughout campus. And it was the first time I literally told a whole room of people I'm Asian and you're gonna fucking respect that. (laughs) Okay, so like it's so wild because as a as a black Asian specifically, 
It is so tough because I walked into Asian groups in school and I would feel like, well, I'm part Japanese. Like, well, what's the other part? It's like, well, I'm black and white. And they're like, oh, so close. You know, like, you right. know, like I didn't even feel like I got to be Asian necessarily right. because um, of the Japanese black part of it. And then I go into black groups and I just get welcomed. And look at you and mine appearances. Like our appearances are, are opposite of each other. And I'm over here like. Black is like all the black people like, yeah, you over here. And all the Asian people are just like, oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) And you get this other like, I'm so so jealous. I'm so excited for you, but I'm also so jealous. (laughs) Ron, do you think if maybe and like, uh, I don't mean this question to be offensive. Do you think if you weren't queer that they would have been more welcoming in the black black side? Mm -hmm. I think so. I really do think so. I think there was a specific um, space where I was very explicitly not welcome queer. Like, even at our, like, graduation ceremonies, like, guys were saying no homo, and I'm like, dude, I've known you for, like, four years. Why are you still saying this to my face? Like, fuck you, man. Um, But, yeah, I think... Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely, I think what's Apart from like the obvious colorism that you went through um, about, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people don't recognize is that a lot of times people who are black and Asian just get erased as black. Whereas like white Asian folks get like the whole, oh my God, you're mixed. Mixed babies are so pretty. Oh my God. Mixed babies are so pretty. Yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah. You're not wrong. Oh my God. But there definitely was something. You're not wrong. My mom's one of yeah, those, and um, that was always a thing of just like, like it, it basically like if you had to be a mixed Japanese, at least you were a mixed white Japanese, which is would really anger my mom because right. she hated white people even though she was half white. Um, and then you get me like this triracial, you know, black identified Asian person, and then it's just like, ugh, that's that's a lot of heat. You know, and then on top of it, right. once I once I do come out as, as queer, then it's like, well, well, damn, we just we don't even have a word. <laughs> we don't even have right. a word for you. Yeah. You know, I think is has been my biggest <laughs> my biggest struggle. And taking yeah. in those layers, it's so interesting because, you know, uh, we've talked before um, about just you know when you go to japan like if you're mixed any anything with japanese you're just a minute automatically not like japanese you're not treated as such and so Mm. um you know that feeling especially as someone who has like a japanese passport and a father who was born and raised in tokyo you know uh and can speak japanese and like is japanese you know Mm um it's just it's like tough to not be welcomed in that. Well, it's not that you're not welcomed. I think especially being like white and Japanese that you're incredibly like fetishized in Japan for that. Yes. That's that. Yeah. And so actually my, and and that is very problematic. Um, 100%. But I had a question for you, Rohan. It, do you feel like it's similar in the Chinese and Jamaican community too? Like in a sense, it's not, maybe not as intense, fetishized but do you think there is an aspect of that um quite possibly i mean i didn't necessarily grow up in that kind of mixed community um i definitely voluntarily put myself in exile from the jamaican community from the jamaican community because of the homophobia the transphobia the femphobia 
So a lot of things I have only observed as an outsider, but I mean, with any other colonial trauma culture, there is this praise of whiter color, you know, lightening the race. There is that colorism issue. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very true. But I do think um, we as Black Asian mixed folks have a very beautiful privilege and that's like using our blackness to claim our Asianness. Like the sort of like mm. black education of like, you know, standing up, becoming an activist, like radicalizing your ideas. Like you can definitely use that and apply it to your Asian heritage. Like so even at the Blasian March, like I literally made up a chant that was so cute. Well, in my opinion, it was cute. I liked it. <laughs> but it literally went Black power, Asian power, Black power, Blasian power. And like so many Asian folks came up to me or messaged me later and were like, I have never heard the term Asian power. Like, thank you for like giving me the space to claim Asian power. And I was like, mm. I mean, I'm literally using it based on my Black power like experience. So... It's interesting that right. not only are we taught that we have no history in this country, we have no legacy of struggle in this country, we are taught we have no power in this country. Right. Like, and that comes with the erasure of our history and our legacy as Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. So off of that, that makes that brings up the question. So last week I, I spoke to someone who had posted in one of the the many Japanese American groups that that I'm a member of, um, that where they had mentioned an advertisement that said black, yellow, white, or tie dye, and it was their way of being inclusive. <laughs> the tie dye shit, like. <laughs> Uh, I, I hate, first of all, my disclaimer here is I hate when every, anybody attempts allyship through naming colors of skin that we haven't excited, decided were actual colors of skin. You know, like, like I, I'll go with you for black, right. I'll go with you for brown, I'll go with you for white and red and yellow, even though some of those terms are hard for people. I'll go with you for those. But don't hit me with green. Don't hit me with purple. Don't do not do any. Don't hit stuff. us with tie-dye, though. Like, like tie-dye is mixed? Is that what that was? Like, what is that? So they posted it and were like, you know, they were affected by seeing the word yellow. And because for them, yellow comes with the negative connotations. But they were a Japanese white mix who grew up predominantly in whiteness. Um so like there was some of the posters that were hung at the at the LA marches that were like yellow peril a, a yellow yellow for black power or yellow for black lives and things like that um are you as triggered by yellow are either of you as triggered by yellow i'm not really triggered by it either um, i use it my poster says <laughs> yellow peril supports black power yeah i have right. it literally right here i remember yeah i remember that being a thing because that was the first time i saw an asian person claiming yellow peril Versus being it used as as like a anti Asian um, yeah. thought. I've seen a lot of Asians like claim it out here, um, but I also wasn't in like an Asian focus. Like it was K Town for Black Lives. Like we were in right. Korea Town, you know. Um, but uh, I'm definitely not as triggered by it. But like sometimes I wonder. you know it's all about having just a nuanced experience right Mm -hmm. and like for me i i'm not like a multi-generation i don't come from a multi-generational asian family so Mm -hmm. you know other people have like deeper rooted 
histories with different things um, right. than than I do. For me, I just grew up around so many people of color that, but I didn't grow up around any other Japanese people, to be honest with you. But right. like, I grew up with a lot of people of color. Most of them were black or brown people. And it just, it was not anything to, for me to just say, well, I'm yellow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't mind it either in, in that like, well, because I'm black, white and yellow and Asian, I like to mix clothing that is black, yellow and white. You can see my logo is, you know, black, yellow and white predominantly. You know, it's got the red circle in there as well, the red disc. Um, the screenshot that we have, I have a, a yellow or whatever. Like I, I I wear clothes to secretly code that I'm black, yellow and white. Like so it's a thing for me that and I wonder too if maybe that's because I like, never realized that by the way. And now that you're saying it, I'm like, oh it's yeah, it's all over the place where, where I put it. Um, I also wonder if it's because I'm second generation born here, but I grew up inside my grandmother's house. So she's not an internment level. She's not a, a multi-generational American Japanese. She is a Japanese person that came here. And so maybe too, like you said, it doesn't touch me as much as it might touch somebody who who's like multi-generational American born Japanese or, or something like that. I, I wasn't sure. But I also don't know how other Asians use yellow if they use it at all seeing yellow peril seeing yellow for black lives and things like yeah, yellow um power and things like that because yellow power was actually used during the brown revolution here in california there used to be signs that talked about yellow power so it feels like there was ownership of it uh, but i wonder too if maybe that's a west coast thing it's, it could be I, I might not be the right person yeah, i moved yeah, here yeah, from yeah. the east coast <laughs> Yeah. Um, one of my Midwest and, and New Yorker family, they they all, and by I mean chosen family, they very vehemently rejected yellow peril as a term. They did. I personally welcomed it. I personally encouraged it, but I understand that's your experience. I will respect it. But to me, sure. it's kind of like yellow peril, those comics, those, those cartoons were used to demonize Asian people, to incite fear-mongering, you know, just like how Birth of a Nation was used to incite fear-mongering against Black people. Right. And to me, I'm like, you know what? Claim it. They're afraid of you. They should be afraid of Asians. <laughs> I mean, they should be afraid of our hell power. Yeah. <laughs> the Proud Boys thing, the hashtag being reclaimed over Twitter recently, where it was just filled with leather daddies and pride and pride pictures. <laughs> Take yeah. it. Take it. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm like, you know what? That power, you should not be afraid to use it, to tap into it. Yeah. And white society yeah, yeah. is afraid of that power because they understand when we claim it, they are literally going to fall. Like, right. I mean, so, it's real. It's really unfortunate, you know, in a lot of ways, unfortunately, the Asian community has been used in, in almost a... Uh, like we've been puppets in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and a lot of people you can really see, I think because there is that um, haven't really stepped into the reclaiming phase of the revolution. Um, it's, you can see how uh, in the early stages we still are, you know what I mean? And obviously there's, there's been, you know, a lot more and I see a lot more, um, Asians just like being super vocal and stuff like that. But it's also t difficult because there is that erasure of history. But at the same time, you know, when you, when you think about 
the internment camps um, and in reading Yuri Kochiyama's book is very enlightening because she was just saying like, you know, we just wanted to do what was right because we were so pro-American. Um, but really that understanding of, of the racism and the discrimination was, was lacking in a lot of ways. And then to have the questionnaire that came through in the internment camp where it was like the last question was like, uh, are you going to forsake any loyalty to Japan? And the problem with that is, well, they can't naturalize and be citizens. What is that? Like, what would they be then? Right. Yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, first of all, seriously, no like PR done very well at all on these questionnaires in in the first place. Um, But to have a question like that and to not even realize like what it is that you're saying to people who like want to show their loyalty and stuff, it's, yeah, it's crazy. And like the fear that came out of that and like people were afraid to like speak out because literally the president just said, all right, well, pack them up, ship them off to these concentration camps. And it was okay. Yeah. And what if I was going to be the kind of Japanese American that would forsake Japan or forswear whatever, you know, like if if you're born in America, the likelihood that you're pro emperor doesn't make sense because you're you're born in a country that doesn't have a con, you know, that going on. So but let's say I'm one of the ones that checks the box and I'm like, yeah, I'll forsake Japan. I'm go America. And then you put me in a camp anyway. What have you just done to me? You just radicalized me because yeah. now I think, well, Hirohito didn't put me in a, in a camp. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I think there is something there, too, of, of this. If you don't explain the context behind what you mean when you ask a, a crazy ass question like that, you might be inadvertently creating an enemy that didn't exist beforehand um and what surprises me about a lot of the history surrounding or what i understand the history surrounding a lot of um, japanese after internment was that period of time of really like you said you know if they if there's the ones that couldn't naturalize all of their stuff is taken they've just been released from a camp and returned to your community that doesn't exist anymore what do you do do you love america do you stay pro-American at that point? Like, how do you exist after something like that happens to you? You're bound to, well, maybe not, but you're bound to be radicalized in my my way of thinking. I mean, I don't disagree. That, right. I mean, that's why it plays into, I actually recently finished um, George Takei's memoir, um, When They Call Love the Enemy. Him. Yeah. Right? And literally, he talks about, like, how you know, the internment made him angry or how he turned theater into a space for activism and how he even, like, marched behind MLK Jr. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. maybe yeah. if they hadn't done the internment, maybe that wouldn't have happened. Like, right. you, <clears throat> you know, like, Yuri, you make your own uh, mess. <laughs> Yuri Kochiyama was, became radicalized after internment. Mm-hmm. She had started, exactly. she said she grew up very apolitical, you know, very colorblind. Um, she grew up in San Pedro, you know, and it took the internment and seeing the discrimination and her also going through it because she couldn't get a job. She mm. like 
she was hanging up posters to promote uh, like the PTA or something. And the police stopped her and wanted to bring her in and arrest her. They arrest her. Right. She said, no one stood up for me. She was like, I was in a restaurant filled with people who all knew me. And one person who didn't know me said something. Everyone else was silent that her church, she taught Sunday school at a church. They made her leave because she was making people uncomfortable. She had grown up in this community and then she started facing all of that. And then she really started to become very radical after the internment. It wasn't right away. She really grew into it, um, going through so much. And, you know, I think, yeah, in a sense, maybe that's like how it was supposed to happen. But at the same time, you know, people, Within the first 48 hours, I forget the exact number, they arrested thousands of Japanese Americans who had been under surveillance mm. for years. They arrested a bunch of fisher, fisher folk. They arrested Goodness. anybody who worked on ships or anything like that. Yuri Kochiyama's father was like friends with the ambassador from Japan or something like that. He was arrested and he died because of improper care. Mm. Um, it, just in seeing that and like knowing all of that happened, I like that's scary because you know, then you're just yeah. thinking, I want to just prove that I'm American. Like I haven't done anything. You know what I mean? And, you know, I think that that really affected all of the Asian community because Chinese Americans were going out of the way to be like, I'm Chinese. I'm not Japanese. Like they, which is happening now with COVID Japanese people getting beat up in the street and, and then saying, but I'm not Chinese. I don't understand why I got beat up. And it's like, it doesn't doesn't to them. It doesn't matter. We're all yellow. That's that's the point. They they just see Asian. Yeah, right. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. My dad was like yelled at by somebody um, about the coronavirus and like someone was blaming him for it. And he was like, Sophie, but I'm not, Chinese and I was like it don't matter and like after that incident um he really started the other day he called me and he was just like you know I noticed white people uh, um I noticed Asians and Latin Latino people are nicer to me and white people seem to be more annoyed with me when I'm there that's a microaggression Mm -hmm. right and I was like, oh, was I was like, by George, he's getting it. <laughs> yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, <laughs> like we got that, that is that is a clear example, in my opinion, of just like how symbiotic our power is. Mm-hmm. Like when it's the Latinx, the Asian, the indigenous, and the Black communities, like just being kind to another, moving with love together. Like there is such a deep powerful symbiosis that I think a lot of us are finally waking up to, mm-hmm. you know? I think if we, we learn to see the similarities and how we as um, put upon people collectively, um, less about whether we're brown, yellow, or black, uh, but if we see how, how, we are treated collectively and there that more empathy would build between our communities. And we would use that empathy to fight across the board. You know, what I find, and it's a, it's slightly a generalization, but it, it is something that I definitely see growing up in, in the Japanese communities is that if it doesn't impact directly Japanese people, it hasn't been, something where it's like, well, that's for Chinese. They're different from us. That's for black people. They're different from us. There's not a, there's not a big motivation in Japanese Americanness to like see that you're next 
or you're down the list, you're just not as high as, as the oppression against black people or the oppression against Latinx people or something like that. Um, if we realize that and we joined together and we supported each other, then maybe it would be a lot easier for us to, to mobilize where voting is concerned, where, you know, um, internal, like internal group lobbying, not necessarily money lo lobbying, but if like as a collective standing up and gumming up the works together, like with the Bla Blasia Mark or Yellow Lives, uh, Yellow Peril for Black Lives, Korea Town for Black Lives March, things like that, where it's like, oh, we finally get it. Because I grew up in here, I grew up down here in LA during the LA riots. Koreatown and the, you know, the black neighborhood, the South Central black neighborhood butt up against each other. And it's because of the politics of whiteness that there was so much strife between those communities. Because before that stuff started to really, really build, those communities actually were more connected, you know, and there's like Japanese businesses that exist in the Crenshaw area for years and years and years that didn't become problematic until after whiteness came in and gave them a reason to separate even further. And so now, like even 20, 30 years later, the healing process that's happening between the like Crenshaw area and Koreatown, it's still happening. Like it's still in process to try to bring those communities together who have butted up against each other, like physically divided by a freeway, basically forever. Mm -hmm. And their neighbors, they didn't have to be competitors. But it, whiteness brought that to those two communities. Um, and I, so I do think we have a lot of work to do to be more collective and to see the struggles, the, the parallel struggles that you were talking about, to see that like, yeah, the same thing that's happening to you is also happening to this group, but it's happening different. It's happening heavier to this group right now. So that's the group we need to all look after collectively. We need to come together to collect, you know, collectively support. And I think that's what's missing in the understanding of what Black Lives Matter means. Um, I see it also in a couple of the groups that I'm in where they're like, well, what about us? And, and it's like, yeah, you're next. Honestly, like, that's how I feel like I want to say, like, you're next. That, that's At the end of the day, all people of color have garnered a little bit more privilege because of the civil rights movement and because of the black community mobilizing and coming together. And I mean, even uh, Yuri Kochiyama, I mean, to bring her up again. She told, <laughs> she, she, you said she's your bro your broad. So. She's my broad. Um, <laughs> I love her. Um, but, you know, she said the first time she met Malcolm X, you know, she was like, can I shake your hand? And he was like, why? And she goes, no, I was just, I'm just very inspired by how you've collected your community and, and gotten them to come together and unify. And, you know, I think in a sense, like, you know, she was probably feeling the way that we feel very, you know, I just wish people would be a little bit more vocal. And, you know, I will say when we were at the first K town for black lives matter rally, it was incredibly beautiful. There was African drummer there, African drummers there. There was a Korean drumming group too. And it was fun. Like we had a good time of everyone brought donations to donate to the black lives matter movement. Um, and, um, just, uh, there was lots of people coming by, just dropping off bags of food to give, make sure everybody was like, had energy and was great. And I saw that all throughout every protest I was at in LA, people being like, Hey, free sandwiches, free water. Like mm. there was hydration stations. There was a massive uh, protest at city hall and there was uh, people set up their cars and there was some cars pouring out Henny shots in the people's mouths. <laughs> and like, I was like, this is I mean, it. you need like, your fuel, however it comes. <laughs> But that was community. And I think yeah. it has awakened more community, which is nice. But like, you know, 
I wanted to bring up, there is, it seems to be dissipating a little bit. Yeah. Even the weekly yeah. protests here are Thinning. incredibly, yeah, they're deadening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's something Angela Davis brought up in an interview I saw with her, and she was basically saying, like, that's organic, and when that happens, focus on voter mobility, focus on the next step. And yeah, I think my biggest looking at New York, so I started marching when I was in Chicago, and it was just what I appreciate about Chicago was that, like, so I marched with Anak Bayan, they're a Filipino youth group, and um, everybody came out for everybody. Like, if there was a free Palestine action, you would see DLM there, you would see the Filipinos yes. there, you would see everybody for everybody. New York, everyone is just so segregated. Like, so you have the BLM group, but that's for the straight black men. Then you have the Black Women's March. Then you have um, more recently, mm. and this person, Jermaine, he is incredible. He founded the Black Disabled Lives Matter movement. But it's just like seeing everything sort of like, yeah, and fracture off. It, it felt very like, this is how white education wants to see us fractured like this. So like, mm. Making the Blasian March was like, okay, no, I'm calling Asian people. I am calling black people into this space. And like, I had um, the guy who founded Black Disabled Lives Matter, like speak, and he was at the front. And like, you know, most speakers were trans women. So I was like, no, like we are coming together. Mm -hmm. And like the safety team, there were so many Asian folks and indigenous folks in the safety team. I was like, this is what it's supposed to be like, like, right. You know, I really appreciate the idea of the safety as and safety and hydration and feeding mm -hmm. people as part of the movement. Again, talking about yeah. like if you're not necessarily a frontline worker, where's the other ways in which you can be yeah. of service? You know, maybe you're not as charismatic, so you can't you can't shout the the chance or you can't speak at the thing, but you can bring somebody a sandwich and that sandwich is going to get them through. Or, you know, you can talk about it on your podcast or you can stream about it on your YouTube channel or, you know, like whatever the thing is. I really appreciate that. The idea of, of safety people. I mean, Oh yeah. Like, they are integral. <laughs> they are integral. Incredibly integral. Yeah. Like that yeah. to me, that is a real important thing um, because you got to keep people, you got to keep the people who have the minds and the voices that are capable of making moves, making real change safe. Mm -hmm. And, um, and if you're one of those people that are willing to, to put your body on the line for that, I really, really appreciate that. We are yeah. coming a little bit close to the to the end, and I'm so glad to specifically have gotten to talk to both of you together. I think um, uh, one because I think it might turn into something down the line. Um, uh, you know, also <laughs> the gears have already been working. The gears have already been. The ball is rolling. Like, it was kind of strategic. I'm not gonna lie, um, but I I really think that getting to see the perspectives of you know the type of work that y'all are doing. Uh, I didn't ask you. So how do you ex just describe yourself because uh rohan and i talked last week and specifically said um 
organizer was the one that made the most sense. What is the terminology that you use for the kind of work that you do? You know, what's funny is I was actually going to ask this question because <laughs> how would, how would you describe yourself? Charmaine? I think of myself as more of an advocate because I can use my platforms as voicing my voice and a space for voicing others uh, because I don't physically go out, you know, my, my, body issue, you know, my, my comfort with my physicality and things like that. Um, and the fact that I have social anxiety around large groups of people. So I feel like I'm better in that space of advocacy. I, my fantasy life is I'm front lines, you know, punching Nazis, but my, no, I am, I am definitely, um, I'm definitely like, I think I'm an activator. activator. I'm very big mm, in okay. education. I'm very like big that. into calls to action. I am like an activist is what I would consider like an active, but I am like an activator, like getting people to understand. And like in every space I've been in, and a lot of people are very candidly, candidly saying a lot. Um, well, I just always seem to learn so much from you and, you know, um, you know, it's just one of those things because when you have that purpose within you, it's going to come out everywhere. And, uh, for me, uh, just running into instances so many times, like, for example, we talked about people just calling me a Jap just mm -hmm. cause I was just like, that's like not okay. And, you know, in thinking about that stuff, I, I mean, just sharing history and sharing, um, stories and getting to do the live series on racism and allyship and getting to bring people in, which, uh, Rohan, we will talk, um, <laughs> next. On that stuff. I got next. Um, but getting to like do all of that, it's, I definitely think I'm an activator calls to action are definitely like something that. that I think. Yeah. I, I, I really, I really like that. Um, and I like that we have three different perspectives, even though, you know, we are all doing it, the work or we're, we're mobilized by the work in different ways. Um, I, I really think that that is, um, a great representation of showing other people who want to do work, who think that they can't, you know, maybe you're like me and, and can and sit and do it from here. And maybe you're like you and you actually get out there or maybe, you know, you're, you're running a polls thing, a, a voting thing. Um, you know, all of these things, there's, there's, there's places everywhere. And honestly, if you're like sandwich maker for black lives, sandwich maker for black lives, you know what I'm saying? Like, Put it on a t-shirt. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, like, the like, food at the Blasian March was so essential. Like, there was literally yes. like a mini fair of free food for people. I was like, this is needed for the people. And, and that's, to be honest, to see the sense of community that has come out in a lot of these protests, I know we're ticking down, hold on, to see the sense of community <laughs> and then to see the media shifted into riots and looting and that's all they yeah. cover, it's incredibly, it's so, it's just another jab in the fight, but I think a lot of people are waking up and like so many videos came out of you're seeing these white people instigating this stuff. Yeah. And like right. there was a video that came out of a guy paying a bunch of people and being like, just get whatever you can, get whatever you can. And it's like, what are you even... Like, what are you doing here, white man? Wow. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah no, I, I saw some of those videos and I was I was I was upset because I was just like, this is ultimately going to rest on black shoulders. But we're watching yeah. a white guy do it. 
Um, So I like to end every episode of the show with a question about what you love most about being mixed. But for the panel, I like to try to gear it a little bit closer to what it is we're talking about. So um, I'm going to ask two questions and then we can go ahead and wrap up. The first one has nothing to do with what we're talking about here. It just simply has something to do with because we're mixed. What's your hybrid food? What's your combination of what you what you love most about being mixed food? Oh my god! Where do I start? Uh, <laughs> we can know, do it really easily with Japanese. I, so, I have so. a food blog. As I know. Oh really? She I just eats hamburgers and food. <laughs> Three and patty. Like, oh just, god! Ah, just takes it to. The, it's great. Please follow the food oh, blog. Yeah. Yeah, I think what I, I love, also what I miss about living in Chicago is that like I could literally throw a party in my apartment and just have like, you know, lumpia and duron next to like bacon curry, next to samosas. I'm sitting here like, this is beautiful. <laughs> I'm salivating. You know, right? like all the food. Right. Um, so of course, New York, everything's so separated. Like to organize that kind of stuff is just like, oh my God, forget it. But <laughs> that's why, yeah, being able to like sample like everything and be all like, this is how we also build community through food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. You know what? Like my favorite, this is if you ever need to know a trivia question about me, right? <laughs> this is my favorite, like simple food to make. Okay. Uh, I make toast and I put bread, butter on it, right? Uh, I make over easy eggs with the yolk extra runny. I put it Love on it. top. You can put it with like green onions and jalapenos um, and then hot sauce and then kimchi on top. <laughs> That's a whole lot of hybrid food. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. I have yet mm-hmm. to. Oh man. Oh my God. Did you, oh my God. There was this really good restaurant in Chicago. I think it's called. Korea del Sol, Taco del Sol, but it was like a taco Korean fusion joint. <gasps> Korean Wait, tacos like, are bomb. Korean oh fried chicken. God. I was like, who made this? <laughs> yes. Marry me, Jesus. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there, there was a spot over here in Sautel that was uh, like a Korean burger shop, but they, but they also did like fusion Asian food and stuff like that. Oh, mm-hmm. I mean, so good. I did have this at this place in Pasadena called Bone Kettle. Give him a shout out. Um, it was a pandan waffle. So pandan is like, how do you describe pandan? It's like a leaf, but they use it to like make sweet things. Okay. But it's like a natural, it's kind of like how like red bean is sweet, but it's not like super sweet. Got yeah. it. Got it. Yeah. So it was a pandan waffle with roasted duck and pulled pork like floss on it. Um, it was like a play on chicken and waffles, like a super fatty deliciousness. And it came with a with a sunny side up egg. And I literally was like, "Oh wait, no, I asked for it over easy with the yolk extra runny." <laughs> and it was, and they put condensed milk on top of it. And I was literally Ooh, that's like, a whole lot of sweet food. <laughs> I was creaming in my pants. I was like, "This is just <laughs> so good. I can't." Awesome. All right, and then the last question that I wanted to ask before we wrap up is what do you love most about doing this kind of work this kind of labor for your communities i'm gonna definitely say bringing people together because like one of them i was in a debrief with um my safety lead and someone brought up how they've been frustrated that recently in protests there aren't 
they don't see any Asians. They don't like, they're like, where are the Asians? And then and you're like, like, here, motherfucker. Right. Well, this is <laughs> also Asian. So their critique was very valid. Okay. And they've been on the front lines for a very long time. And seeing just like a crowd of Asian and black people. And I was like, we're here. Oh, man. Yeah. And then and- just like seeing the trans women alongside uh, my friend in, in a wheelchair, like just seeing that kind of solidarity is so essential. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it happened. I was like, finally. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> to be able to see the combination of Asian and Black people together is doesn't matter. Yeah. For me, it actually doesn't matter what kind of Asians they are, as long as I can kind of see people who roughly look like me across all of the different, you know, faces. Uh, I'm really glad to see that that was actually possible somewhere. I look forward to being able to experience that wherever I end up as well. And they were babies. Oh, babies? babies. (laughs) They were like, this is such a good space for my son. I want to grow up like this. You're a good role model for him. Oh, that's good. I love it. You know, Honestly, like that is an amazing aspect of it. I mean, you know, to be at the like the first K Town for Black Lives Matter march and to have again those African drummers and people coming together, like people came in and they were dancing around and just it was like a fun time. Um, you know, it was a sight I had never seen ever. Um, and that is just amazing to see. But I think my most favorite thing about being an activator is seeing it was nice to see a wave of people come through and i don't love that some people were like racism exists but also (laughs) to see people my pearls (laughs) what um but you know it was nice to see people who were like okay this is my reading list and for people who are never political Mm. to start sharing things and to show up and I knew people who were like uncomfortable with the thought of even going to a protest because they, they don't know, you know, all you know is right. from the news about riots and loots and stuff like that. But to um, go and attend and be like, okay, this is actually like a beautiful space for community. And like, I'm happy to be here, you yeah. know, seeing, seeing people actually step into it and be activated was, is probably my most favorite thing. Awesome. Well, thank you both so much for participating in this. Thank you. Um, no, I mean, <clears throat> The, the fact that I get access to people at all in this game is is precious to me. But specifically over the last year or so with Soph, um, getting to just watch how active you are and 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 how the, for me, I feel there's a certain level of fairness fearlessness and that you are jumping into communities that you wouldn't necessarily say that you are a part of, but you're like, but I'm here and I'm here for you and I'm here to support. I've watched you do that um, through Instagram primarily, but I've watched you do that and I really appreciate. And now that I actually have you in my life now too, um, Rohan, which I, I really hope you allow me to adopt you as your, your Blasian auntie or something, because I'm obsessed with you now. Um, I I'm just so Sorry glad happened. you're doing this. Already happened. <laughs> just Sorry like happened. Chosen family. Here we go. <laughs> Sign the papers. Um, uh, 
like I just I'm so appreciative of the work you're doing that that you're that you're engaging community like inc- including the dance community and things like that like you're engaging communities that wouldn't otherwise be thinking oh I'm also a part of this discussion too you know I, I really appreciate that you all are doing that work and I hope that you have support in in places all over but if you don't I want you to activate me to help. In, in ways of, you know, elevating the audience that is connected to Militantly Mixed to support the things that y'all are doing. I'm so proud of you. And I'm so honored to have you as guest of the show, but also just that I know that you exist. I'm, I'm so happy. So thank you so much for participating with me. You're so thank sweet you. for that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, just to even say about you, like, I, I know that we've talked before and like you said it, like, you know, you get the, you know, anxiety around the crowds and you don't really, you know, whatever, um, like, you know, necessarily going out as much, but like the way you still use your voice and find ways to create your platform still. And, um, you know, you have lots of different facets and how you, you know, tailor each of all to each of all to each of them <laughs> is amazing too. And so you're amazing also. So I'm, I was honored you even asked me. So hi, um, I appreciate it. Rohan, <laughs> I am a, I'm a fan of yours. Fan, now, right? <laughs> we, we shall talk. We shall talk. We need to talk and do more thing. Cause I am, uh, my next project, I really want to do like a book list because like okay. seriously, knowledge, knowledge, education is liberation. Is so we can like put these books in people's hands or at least be like, mm-hmm. buy these books from a black owned business. I you mean, know? I also have a black owned comic book shop in case we could filter things through that. So just let me hey. know. <laughs> just let me know. No, um, I know right. you mentioned before, sorry, that you're, oh, we should end this and then I can ask afterwards. Well, why don't you tell everybody how to find, find what it is you do, um, yeah. your ads and everything, and then we'll go ahead and wrap up. Okay. Um, I'll go first. Okay, so you can find my personal page at Asian underscore Soph. Um, I work on a page called Mixed Present, spelled just the way it's supposed to be. And then um, I'm also growing a new brand um, that's run by just me uh, called Mixed Made. It's Mixed underscore Made. Um, and then if you want to follow my food blog, <laughs> it's Which at Soph's Food Diary. <laughs> Sofs.food.diary on Instagram. Awesome. Oh, man. Uh, So first of all, I want to give a shout out in the YouTube comments. Uh, The LA Blasian March chapter founder, Chirag, is in the comments. So hi. Hi. Um, (laughs) uh, You can definitely follow me. Um, All my handles are Diary of a Firebird. Um, there will be. I love a that place. so much. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and um, there will be a Blazing March Instagram account coming out soon. I will. Yes. I will all that probably next by next week. So, but for now, yeah, you can follow me on Diary of Firebird. <laughs> awesome. Thank you again so much. I'm gonna go ahead and say goodbye to everybody and end this this uh, broadcast. Bye, everybody. To the double Asian wave. <laughs> <laughs>
If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.